from a candidate. It read, I understand that you are in the process of searching for a new pastor, and I would like to introduce myself. I wish I could say that I am a terrific preacher, but actually I, I stutter when I speak. I wish I could say I bring a wealth of experience to the job, but I've never been a pastor before, unless you count the flock of four-legged sheep I've been shepherding. I wish I could say I have a wonderful pastoral skills, but sometimes I lose my temper. Once I even killed somebody, but I, I hope you don't hold that against me. I know churches these days are looking for young ministers to attract young members, but I'm almost 80 years old. So I look forward to hearing from you and leading you into a promising, exciting new future. Yours sincerely. The chairman asked the congregation, what do you think? And they were in disbelief, a stuttering, inexperienced, old ex-murderer is our pastor? Are you kidding? Then the chairman added, it is signed, Moses. Welcome back to the God's Word, Our Great Heritage podcast. When we left, Mo when we left Moses in our last podcast, he had named his firstborn Gershom, which means stranger, because, Moses said, I'm a foreigner, stranger, living in a foreign land. We can say the same. We sing it in one of our hymns, I'm but a stranger here. But as we will see in Exodus, our God goes with us in this foreign and strange land. He guides us, protects us, and he will bring us safely home. Chapter 2 closed with the words, God heard the Israelites groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. It's not as though God had forgotten the Israelites or his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, this is a Hebrew way of saying God is about to act on that promise. He is about to make his concern for his people evident to all. Forty years have passed in these closing verses of chapter 2. Forty years since Moses has fled Egypt and found a home of sorts in Midian. Let's open with prayer. Lord Jesus, you ask us to go and do your work, yet we feel so unqualified. But you promised to go with us, and so we have everything we need. Give us wisdom, give us courage, through the power of your word. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, the first six verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb at the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses, th Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight where the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Perhaps you've heard someone say, I don't need to be in church to be close to God. I can be close to God on the golf course. And strictly speaking, that's true. You could be close to God in the golf course. People usually aren't, but you could be. God could speak to you in a burning bush. He did it once. Moses was doing a very ordinary thing when suddenly he found himself very close to God. Not out in the golf course, but he was tending his father-in-law's sheep. In fact, that had been his life for the last 40 years. Sheep, sheep, and more sheep for 40 years. Might seem a little mundane, but a quiet and comfortable life. And maybe at 80, that's what Moses wanted. Oh, his first 40 years had been anything but dull. He was the prince of Egypt, ate at the royal table, educated in the finest schools, a man of power and influence and means. But then his anger got the best of him. He killed a man. When word got out, Moses got out of the country. The prince became a fugitive. He went from dining with heads of state to counting heads of sheep. That was 40 years ago. Since then, he had settled into a comfortable, if ordinary, life. He was married, had children, was working in his father-in-law's business with sheep. Life was quiet, but God had other plans for Moses. There are probably days when you and I feel our life is pretty monotonous, pretty mundane. We maybe even like it that way. But make no mistake, there's no such thing as an ordinary life for a Christian. Because our God is always doing great things. And he graciously includes us in his plans. As Moses is going about his ordinary life, he sees a very extraordinary sight. A bush that is on fire but doesn't burn up. Moses is intrigued. Bushes don't usually last long when they are on fire. So he thinks, I'll walk over there and check it out. But as he walks up to it, he is stopped in his tracks. A voice from inside the bush calls out his name, Moses, Moses. And he answers, here I am, which is a way of saying, I'm at your service. It's what we sing in one of our hymns. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I'm at your service. But Moses has no clue yet what that service is going to be. Don't come any closer, the voice says. Take off your sandals. In those days when people entered a holy place, they took off their shoes as a sign of reverence, respect. We all know how dirty shoes can get. They pick up everything we walk through. And everywhere we have been and everything we have done can be found on the bottom of our shoes. It sticks. It's like stepping on gum on a hot summer day. You can't get it off. Little strings of it just keep following you. Everybody who sees you knows what you've stepped in. And so it is with our lives. The sin and the filth stick to us. The wrongs we have done, the hurtful things we have said, stick to us like gum on the bottom of a shoe. How dare we ever step into the presence of a holy God? Only having been washed clean in the blood of Jesus, washed clean by Jesus' sacrifice in our place, can we approach God. Like Moses, God requires that we approach him on his terms. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
And then God identifies himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who has promised a Savior. You see, the God who had been silent for hundreds of years was now speaking to Moses. No wonder Moses is frightened. For how can a man dressed in the rags of sinfulness stand in the presence of a holy God? We know, again, it's only through the merits of Jesus. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which is a poetic way of saying a land of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And Moses might be thinking, well, that's great, God. I've been worried about these people too. In fact, I thought you should have done something 40 years ago. But God continues in verse 10. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So there is the assignment. Get my people out of Egypt. And it's not your mission, Jim, if you should, or your mission, Moses, if you should choose to accept it. No, it's go. And Moses must be thinking, wait a minute, Lord, I thought you said you would rescue them, that you were coming down. What's this you-go business? Standing barefoot before a burning bush, he confesses, I am not a great man. Notice how 40 years have changed him. 40 years ago, Moses thought, I'm the man for the job. Now he asks, who am I? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses, I'm glad you asked the question because honestly I was wondering it myself. Why 80-year-old Moses? The 40-year-old version, maybe. The Moses we saw back in Egypt was brash, was confident. This Moses is reluctant and weather-beaten. Back then, we might have said, this man is ready for battle, educated in the finest system in the world, trained by the ablest soldiers, instant access to the inner circle of Pharaoh's court, the perfect man for the job. Yes, Moses at 40, we like. Moses at 80? No way. Too tired. Too old. Smells like sheep. What impact is he going to have on Pharaoh's court? Wrong guy. You wouldn't have sent him, I wouldn't have sent him. But God sent him. Why? Well, for one thing, during these 40 years, he learned the ways of the desert. If you're going to lead thousands of Hebrews in the wilderness, you better know the basics of desert life. 40 years ago, Moses thought he could lead God's people out of Egypt. Thought he could do it. He had the resources. He had the smarts. He had the skills. Now he knows. He can't do it. To go against Pharaoh, he would need an enormous army with thousands of chariots and soldiers. Or he would need God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Notice here, God doesn't say, come on, Moses, where's your confidence? You can do this. Don't be such a chicken. Instead, God says, verse 12, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This mountain of God, as he described it earlier, Horeb, is the very place, Mount Sinai, where he will return with God's people in just a few months. When faced with our greatest enemies, the burden of our sin, the grave, that old evil foe, the devil, the question is not, who am I? The question is, who is God? Who is he? He is the God who goes with us. Don't you find that tremendously comforting? When God calls us to do something, he promises to go with us. And our strength comes from him. So often we, we think, God, I, I've got these problems down here. I'm not up to the task. I can't do this. And God says, no, you can't. That's why I'm going with you. The I am God. I read a story years ago about a mission worker leading a group of refugees out of war-torn China during the communist takeover. One morning, there just appeared to be no hope of reaching safety. A 13-year-old girl tried to comfort this mission worker by saying, don't forget what you told us about Moses in the wilderness. To which the mission worker replied, yes, but I'm not Moses. The young girl replied, yes, but God is still God. Professor Lessing in his devotional commentary points out, the Lord doesn't stay safe and secure in the heavenly realm. He doesn't just bark out orders from headquarters. No, he chooses to become engaged in the mess of this world. Isn't that what we celebrate at Christmas? Our God is not a God far away. He is with us. He doesn't bark out orders from headquarters. He is engaged in the mess of this world so that he might deliver us. But now, how is Moses going to identify God in such a way that the Israelites know that God has sent him? Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? In other words, Moses is asking, what kind of God are you? What should I tell your people about your plans for them? And God gives this beautiful answer. What kind of God are you? Take off your sandals for the place where we are about to stand is holy ground. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Professor Ernst Wentland in his commentary writes, the words, I am who I am, seem so simple. But there is so much here. He is a personal being. He is not some impersonal force or magical power out in nature. He is a person who thinks, feels, speaks, decides, and acts. I am who I am. He is timeless. He is constant. He is unchanging. The promises God has made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are still in effect. God has not forgotten his people. And those promises are still in effect today. God does not change. 
God is still God, as that 13-year-old girl said to the mission worker. What is God like? It reminds me of the story of the little girl who was deep in concentration over an art project, a drawing. Her mother asked her what she was drawing and received this rather curt reply. God. But honey, her mother said, no one knows what God looks like. The little girl confidently replied, they will now. Can people really know God? Now the book of Exodus answers that. They will now. The Hebrew word for I am is often translated in our English Bibles with the word LORD in all caps to indicate that this is a very special word that refers to God as our Savior, a God of faithfulness to his promise, a God of grace who shows us a love we do not deserve. And with this assurance, I am. Moses is to go to the elders of Israel Next week, in the rest of chapter 3 and into 4, we're going to hear all of Moses' excuses, which the Lord dismantles. Join us then. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.